0: Part two of our message that we started last week, uh, talking about uh, talking about being in uh, talking about dealing with trials and difficulties and how we face trials and difficulties. And last week we, as we looked at this passage, we talked about the first part of it. Hopefully today I'll get through at least this, the 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 second, maybe the third part of this. But in Peter, Peter's dealing with incredible. Difficulty in the church and in the world. Nero is on the rampage. Paul, the Apostle Paul, according to some theologians, um, was was killed in Rome. Um, There's a lot of concern. The churches in Galatia, many of the churches that Paul helped start, uh, actually are worried about whether they're still going to be included because their advocate is gone, and uh, at least the earthly advocate is gone. And uh, so Paul is writing to encourage them, and they're under extreme extreme pressure and persecution. And in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God of our Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if you need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the gentleness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, and though you do not see him yet, believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I wanted to just kind of highlighting back to what we talked about last week, that it's a proven thing. We talked a little bit about how that in the Nazi prison camps, how that people that endured beyond the Nazi prison camps, those there were those who gave up while they were there and died while they were there. Many of them were just killed because uh, of the of the um, the Nazis and what they did. But those who lived in those camps and actually went the distance in those camps, the way that they the way they survived was that they looked at forward to the day they kept hope out there that they would get out of there, and uh, that they would be set free. The problem they ran into, which Victor Frankel writes about this in his book, is that when they finally got out of the Nazi prison camps, they kept thinking that everything would go back to normal. They'd get all their stuff back, their house back, their you know life would go back to normal, and it did it. And so a whole bunch of them uh, became depressed, and actually uh, many took their lives because they just real they lost all hope of anything changing. Those who endured past the getting even out of the prison, out of the, what they were involved with, that uh, actually the ones that survived, Frankel found, were those who had their hope set in something beyond this life. And I believe that's what Paul Peter is talking about here, is, is that he's telling us that, look, you have to have, your hope has to be set in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to be set beyond something that is natural, Um, Whether, you know, because just like you might have hope that, well, the government's finally going to, you know, release everybody and the virus is all going to die off because it's getting warmer and all these things that are going to take place. And so what if they don't? Then how are you going to respond? What if, I mean, great, I hope they all do too, but that's not where my hope is at. My hope is beyond that. My hope is even beyond this life that my hope is in the Lord. My hope is in that God, uh, that my life is set in eternity with Jesus Christ. And so that's where my faith is at. In the Bible, it talks about that in Hebrews, that we have an anchor in the holy place, which that's our hope. It's our it's our anchor at the throne of God that Jesus set with his own blood. And so we need to realize that in the midst of all of that, that when we face trials in life, things don't go our way. Things are difficult Things get hard in life that we have set our hope on something greater than even this life. Not just in things getting better. You know, I'm still, I I mean, I talk a little bit about my own personal life. You know, I work out a lot. I'm still waiting for it to get easier. It's not getting easier. You know, I'm waiting for the day that I won't have pain after it's over. I always have pain after it's over. Because you know why? Because I'm doing something. Activity, action, action. Movement, all those things create, they're things that change, they change the dynamics of our life, and it causes pain, it causes difficulty, living causes pain, living causes difficulty, but here's the good news. We set our hope beyond this life, and that which is unchangeable, and that which is unchangeable is our relationship with Jesus Christ. So our first question was, how are you dealing with how are you deal how do you deal with difficulty? What's the test? Uh, how, as we go through this, there's three tests I want to talk to you about. How do you deal with difficulty? They say that there's three things that you'll do. That one is you'll fight, and that a lot of people do that. They get angry and they start fighting, and we see that in society today. The other is they'll flight, they'll run, they'll run away, you know, and just totally living in absolute fear. So fear can cause us to fight. Fear can cause us to flight. And then the other is freeze. And that's the other aspect of it that psychologists tell us will happen is, is that people just lock, They just totally lock down. Everything stops. But there's one other F I want to add to that, and that is that we can be in faith. We can get into faith. I appreciate uh, Jeannie had stopped by our home yesterday to give us a sign that says uh, I choose that it's, that it's faith over fear. And uh, I, we choose faith over fear because our faith and our hope and our trust is in the Lord. When we face difficulties in our lives, how are we responding to those difficulties that we face? Um, some of you may have read this book. It's really great. It's by a guy named Jim Collins. It's called Good to Great. A lot of uh, in business circles, they read this book. And he writes in his book about a guy uh, named uh, was uh, Navy Vice Admiral James Stockdale. And he came up with what he calls the Stockdale Paradox because of this guy's life. Because Stockdale was a pilot who spent eight years imprisoned in North Vietnam's notorious Hanoi Hilton after he was shot down during the Vietnam War. Those of you that fought in Vietnam, you remember all of this. He was frequently tortured and abused. When Collins interviewed Stockdale, the former admiral said his imprisonment was the defining event of his life, explaining, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail. Now, this is interesting. Collins was intrigued by this man whose body decades later still showed signs of being broken, but whose spirit was indomitable as ever. Who didn't make it out, Collins asked a little hesitantly. Oh, he said, that's easy. The optimists, they didn't make it out. When a confused Collins uh, heard that, he said, can you explain that? And Stockdale said, oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again, and Christmas would come, and Christmas would go. And they would say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter again. And and he said, but what would happen is, time and time again, as Christmas passed by and Easter passed by, we were still there. And he said, what happened to the optimist is, they died of a broken heart. They died of a broken heart. What Stockdale said next gave Collins the idea for what he called the Stockdale Paradox. And he said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Wow, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? Let me read it again, because I know some of you are at home going, I can hear you. Oh, 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 read that again. All right, I'll read it again. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which he said you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever that might be. Here's how Collins wrote the Stockdale Paradox. Retain faith that you will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the same time confront the most brutal facts of your current reality whatever they might be. Why is that so important? Cuz see that's what Peter's saying. He's saying look, I'm not telling you everything's okay. It's not okay. <laughs> I'm not telling you that. But he said look, our faith will be genuine as we go through this, as we as we fight through this, as we keep that that view of faith in our minds even though we we recognize, it's, it's going back to what the Lord told me at the beginning of all of this, that we're to be confidently cautious that, look, the, the, the environment, there, there are all kinds of things going on around us, and, and we're, we're about to head into some of the economic things that will go with that. But how can you do that without being overwhelmed? Well, it would be crazy for us to like think we're not gonna have, we're not gonna have any problems. Well, we are gonna have problems. We're going to have economy problems because of the difficulty. And I know we'll hold out hope that, and I do, I hope it all changes overnight. and The market takes off and everybody gets their job back and we all get raises and we all get bonuses and everything goes real well and the government gets rid of a lot of the debt that it's incurred during this particular time. But the truth of what we're dealing with, the facts are that It could be difficult for a little while. But here's the power. Our hope, our faith becomes genuine as it's facing those difficulties. Not living in denial that there's a problem because there really is. There are a lot of problems. There are a lot of difficulties. Uh, The virus will cease. I promise you Uh, the virus will cease to be the issue. It's going to cease. It's on its way out now. But the economy is something that's going to take a little while for to recover. And I know some of you are at home and you're worried about your jobs and you're worried about whether you're going to make it financially. You may have got your stimulus money and I hope you didn't go buy a 70 inch TV with it. I hope you put it in the bank. I hope you sent your your tithe off of it as well because you keep God connected to your finances. But but. You're going to face these challenges. But I want to go back to something that the Lord said to us last year at the end of the year. We're about to enter into a time of supernatural increase. And what supernatural increase means, and we've talked about this several times, is that, look, supernatural increase isn't that in good times you're increasing. Supernatural increase is about that you're in a time of famine and you're still increasing. You're still increasing. You know, Sharon and I, I mean, this year has been a year of supernatural increase for us. You know, our lamb, our sheep, excuse me, last year gave us one lamb. Our goat gave us one goat. This year, our sheep gave us two. That's two lambs. That's when you call that increase, I'd call it increase. All right. And our goat gave us not two, but three. And that was totally a big surprise for us. But here's the really cool thing about it. We've experienced supernatural increase with our animals. You say, well, what, so what? what? That's just more feed. Yeah, we already, sold all the, we already sold all the increase. We've already sold it off. In like 24 hours, it was all sold. So that's increase. Now, that's our story. That's our testimony of what we have experienced in our life. But look, we're, we're counting any increase as increase and something to rejoice about. Amen? And so I believe that for you as well, whatever you're putting your hands to. You know, my Bible says still in Psalm 1, Psalm 1 didn't come out of the Bible and disappear because of the coronavirus. It says that, look, blesses the man who doesn't sit in the seat of the scorner, which they're all over the place, sit in the place of the ungodly, hang out with the losers, get away from all those people, But their delight is in the law of the Lord and in his word they meditate day and night and they will be like a tree planted by waters. There'll be plenty of fluids to take care of them and keep them thriving and surviving and growing and developing. They'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and it says in Psalm 1 and whatever they set their hand to, goats, sheep, pigs, cows, business garden. <laughs> amen. Well church, whatever it is will prosper. Hallelujah, can I get a good amen? So I'm just a challenge look, don't don't get caught up in all of the worry of it because we're set, we're looking at the brutal facts. But our faith is saying, "We're overcomers. We will beat this. You, this will not take me out. Money will not take. Money will not be the nail in my coffin. The virus will not take me out." See, these are the things that we have got to start setting our our faith for. So, how do you face your tests? Are you fighting right now? Are you angry? Are you, you know, yelling at your family, <laughs> yelling at your kids, just? mad at the government, mad at the governor, mad at the president, mad at whoever, and yelling and carrying on. And do you find yourself having fits in front of the TV during press conferences? That's not a good thing. Okay? One, they cannot hear what you're saying. So (laughs) are you fighting? Are you running? Are you just running and hiding? Are you running and hiding from everything? Or are you frozen right now? Are you totally locked up or are you getting yourself into a place of faith? You say, well, pastor, I am not in faith. Good. You're facing the brutal facts now. Now we could start helping you. Now we could start taking you where you need to go because you face the facts of where you're at. So how do you deal with trials when they come? Let me give you a great quote. A faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. A faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. Okay, so I'll give you an example. My granddaughter, you know, she's learning how to drive, okay? She's getting to drive, but she's still learning to drive, all right? Now, I want you to imagine just for a minute, all right, that here she is. She's learning to drive. She's going to classes, you know, and they're telling her, you know, 10 and 2, right? That's how we do it, 10 and 2, and, you know, and you break in, you know, where you break at and how you steer it. And this is the accelerator and this is the brake and all the things that go with it. And so she's done all. She's done the book learning. OK, she's done the book learning. And I say, oh, Shayla, have you have you learned? Have you learned how to drive? Oh, yeah, i I read the book. I read how to do it. Well, good. Then I'll tell you what. You drive my truck, I'm gonna just sit over here on the passenger side, and let's go, let's drive to Oklahoma. You go ahead and drive. Now look, here's the thing. A, I cannot trust her ability to be able to drive even though she might have learned how to drive, even though she may have read the book. What do we have to do? We have to give her, we have to test her ability. We have to take her out. We have to let her make some mistakes. And she makes them. We have to take her out. I know she's at home arguing that she doesn't, but she does. <laughs> but, but we have to, I'll probably get a text during the message now from her that will stop talking about me, but, but look, she's learning how to do something. Would you trust someone that had no idea what they were doing? Look, no matter how much, you know, uh, Wes is sitting here, Wes drives, he's on the road all the time. Wes, do people always do what you expect them to do on the road? They do not do what you expect on the road. You have to, it's only through the testing of being on the road and applying what you're learning that you actually are able to become something that can be trusted, can be trusted. A faith that is not tested, cannot be trusted. You may know what the Bible says, but are you applying what the Bible says to your life? You may know that God loves you, but are you applying that into your life and letting it change the reality of your life? You may know that God is a provider, but are you putting God to the test and saying, I'm going to give my tithes and offerings? Are you, you may know that heaven is real and that, you're, that there's a hell that's real and a heaven that's real and that At death, that final decision that you made in your life, how you chose to to surrender your life, that that will determine where you spend your eternity. You may know all of that. You may know the book learning of it, but is it a faith that is tested? Have you put it into application in your life? I like what one guy said that, uh, and I, I can't remember who it was, but it's such a powerful statement. If you were convicted of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence? to throw you in jail? See, is there enough evidence, Christian evidence, that your life is any different than anybody else's life? See, that's that faith. And what a great opportunity we're in right now. Our faith is being tested. So our faith is tested when, it, when we go through difficulty. How are you handling the difficulty of the day? And you know, if you're like most people, you have some good days and some bad days, and you have some good hours and some bad <laughs> hours, and sometimes your day doesn't end the way it started. But the thing is, is that you persevere and you know the standard that you need to set in your life is to be, to live the victorious overcomer life. And so you're not gonna stay where you are. The second test that we deal with, I believe, that when our faith is tested is the one that we're in, we're about to face right now, and that is, um, how do we steward our resources in our life? How do we steward our re- the resources in our life? John Osteen in 1980, and you, you'll you have to think back about this a little bit, uh, those of you that are a little older, that in 1980, uh, oil, Texas was in big trouble. I mean, oil, and it just hit the hole. We had to, it was a mess. It was a real mess, and uh we were in a major recession, and even the economy with the farmers here was in central Michigan was in bad shape. Uh, there were a lot of tears, a lot of farms closed down because of it, and uh, it just kind of swept through. Uh, it, qu- it swept through the nation and the world. The difficulty of the um, uh, of the day with finances, but John Osteen, who uh, for years Sharon and I were connected with the Osteens um, in uh, Houston, Texas, which is in Houston, which is like right in the middle of all the oil stuff that was going on. You know that in 1980, he built, God called him to build an 8,000-seat auditorium for $6.1 million. In the midst of famine, in the midst of a horrible, Pastor, are you getting ready to tell us you're building a $6.1 No, 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 just relax for just a minute. Don't miss the point, Okay. $6.1 $6.1 million, and here's the thing. John Osteen never received a second offering to pay for that building. Written, all the money that came in for that was either saved or they had it in their regular tithes and offerings. Because what John Osteen did, which we have to do in our own lives with our finances, is we have to be in faith, but we have to face brutal facts as well. John Osteen had a determination to keep his ministry debt free, which he did. He also had a belief that he would live from the top of the barrel, not the bottom of the barrel. They would He said it's just as easy to live from the top as it is off the bottom. So they put monies aside to make sure that they were able to they would they saved up. They didn't spend everything that they had. Um, they lived thing, they kept things tight and got out of debt. See, this is so powerful because it's such an encouragement to us. And even though you didn't live through 1980, those of us that did can remember gas lines. We can remember, you know, that uh, certain days that we could go to the gas station to get gas. Um, We remember how difficult it was. Um, You know, we were talking, I was talking with Chuck. Chuck started his ministry in the early 80s. We started our ministry on the mission field, going to Texas. And I didn't... You know, it's almost like I'm so glad we didn't know how bad it really was because I I, I don't know if it had made any difference to us anyways because we didn't have any bad experiences to relate it to. But but you know it was tough in the in the world at that time. But yet God blessed and God prospered and God increased and Brother Osteen built that building. John Osteen built that building, trusting in God, and putting God to the test. They never stopped giving to missions. Never. They were one of the large, one of the greatest leaders and examples of giving into mission work. Was John Ost, uh, Lakewood Church? I mean, they were They would have huge missions conference where they would support missionaries around the world. Never stop that. Brother Osteen would travel into foreign countries to preach the gospel. They'd have great crusades there. Never stop doing any of it because they knew this: that if you plant and you sow and you give that God will bless in return and cause increase. In fact, John Osteen, when God told him to build this building, he was so worried about it, and you've heard me talk a little bit about this, that God came to him in a visitation and said, John, he said, listen to me, if I told you to do this, he says, I want you to know I've got people to take care of it. He said, it wouldn't matter if you were now under the law that said that you could not, receive offerings except between 12 midnight and 2 a.m. in the morning, and it could only be on a box on top of the roof of the church, he says, I'm telling you right now that there will be more than enough finances to build this building and to take care of the ministry because I have people that will listen and will do what I tell them to do. And they have the resources to do it. Now I want you to think about that for a minute because I believe that about Amazing Grace. I believe that about you guys. I believe that about our church. I believe that if we had to say, if, if we said, look, you can only give between 12 and 2 in the evening at night, midnight to 2 a.m., and it's going to be on a box and you've got to climb up a ladder, that there would be, we would every day go out and find money in that box because people would do that because they just believe in, one, they love their church, but they love their God more than they love their church and they would do what God told them to do. That's how increase comes. You know, somebody defined socialism. I, I think it's interesting because we hear a lot about this, that socialism is man trying to meet his own needs without God. If you think about it, I've been in the Ukraine, and, uh, you know, in socialist con- countries, it's evident that they were trying to meet their needs without God. They were, Is everybody just trying to do their own thing? And And, and here's what it ended up looking like. Nobody got their needs met, or they barely got their needs met. I can remember when Len Hood and I were in Kiev and we were preaching the gospel that we didn't have heat on days. There was, you know, and it was just acceptable. People just lived that way. Didn't have power. You could might not have hot water today, may not have it for a couple of days. That's the That's socialism. You know, those that want the United States to become more socialistic. Listen, I'm telling you, it is a such a failure Because what ends up happening is the root of socialism is take God out. And when you take God out of the finances of the nation, when you take God out of the finances of the people, you take God out of the lives of people and out of the nation, what socialism does, even though we may have a lot of resources right now, everything will go down and we'll never have enough. You go into any communist country in the world, any place that's communist or becoming communist, socialist, they're struggling to be able to make it today because they relied on themselves instead of relying on God. Are you trying to live a socialist life in your own household, that it's all about your money and your job and what you can do to fix everything? Or are you putting your trust in the Lord and saying, God, I trust you. I'll give my tithes, my offerings. I'll obey, I'll listen to your voice, Lord. I will do what you have said and I will trust you that I'll have the finances that I need. I trust you, Lord God, that I'll, that I'll be able to pay my rent, pay my mortgage, be able to do all the things. I trust you, Lord, that I'll be able to get out of debt completely. You know, it's an amazing thing when people set their heart to get out of debt, they get out of debt. They have to face the brutal facts that they created a mess by debt. But then once they face that brutal fact and apply their faith, they're able to cut up credit cards. They're able to put a $1,000 in the bank to be able to, you know, for emergency fund. Those of you who've been through Dave Ramsey's course with us, I mean, which we just believe so highly in, that uh, that look, man, it, it'll change your life. I want you to think about your life right now, how it would feel. How would it be different if you had no debt? No debt. Zero. Right now. Look, you wouldn't be getting up every day, living paycheck to paycheck. You'd be like, well, we you know what? Look, we may not have a job for a while, but we've got, we got all this money in the bank and resources available and We're going to be just fine. We're going to get through this. It does change how you view life. It really does. So finances, stewarding our resources is a test for you and I. Giving tests God, it puts it back on God saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'll just tell you a great example of this in the Bible. Maybe you've read this before, and it's the Tower of Babel. When the people all got together and said, let's build a name for ourselves, let's do this ourselves, let's do this without God, and they started building that tower, they were able to get so far, but then confusion sat in, and when it sat in, every evil work happened, and division happened, strife happened, and everybody went their separate ways. That's what socialism does. And uh, so we need to be very careful that we're not trying to live a socialist life in our own, our own household. We don't trust in the government, we trust in God. I still remember when I get a dollar bill out and look at it, it doesn't say, you know, in President Trump I trust, or in Governor Whitmer I trust, or it doesn't say on that dollar bill, in the U.S. government I trust. It says, in God we trust. And so that's where our hope is, and that's where our trust is. Amen. Test number three, and this is even a little tougher, How the test of how do I act during delays. When things aren't happening, remember we just talked about how the admiral said that people would get broken hearted because they couldn't handle the delay. It was one thing after another. Well, when at Christmas and at Easter and you know, and on and on and on. When is it ever going to end? And then when it didn't end, when they thought it should, they were broken hearted. Are you broken hearted today? Are you struggling? Is your heart hurting because you've been disappointed? Well, I've got good news for you. There's hope in the Lord, and we can pray. And I'm going to pray today for God to help you. But I want to ask you, how are you dealing with delays? You say, well, I'm doing okay. I just keep, you know, encouraging myself, and I think I'm going to be all right. I'm going to teach you the secret right now. I'm going to teach you the secret. Now get ready, okay? I'm going to teach you the secret of how to really break through delays. And it's found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. And I want you to turn there with me. You know, Deuteronomy 28 is a great uh, testimony of Scripture about blessings and cursings. And God says, you know, if you do these things, these things, these things, great things will happen. If you do these things, these things, these things, bad things will happen. God's telling us all that, so we'll choose the great things because we want great things to happen. But when you get to verse uh, 47, it's just sort of like right in the middle of the whole thing. And it's to me, it's like the pivot point of understanding in our lives. What does it take for you and I to be able to deal with delays in our life? And here it is. This is verse 47 of Deuteronomy 28. And God says to the people, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore, for the therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has until it has destroyed you. See the, the key to deal with delays is a thankful heart. It really is. It's a thankful heart. You know, I talked to you about how that we've had supernatural increase on the farm, but look, there were days I was walking out in the early morning, it's dark out, it's cold out, it's windy out. It's raining, it's snowing, not, you know, like a beautiful sunny day like today. And I'm not real thankful for the opportunity to be able to do that. But what I've learned is, is that when I find myself in that place, that's when I need to start thanking God for what I have. Thanking God that I have two legs that will help me get down to that barn. Thanking God that I have a heart that's strong. Thanking God that I have a mind that works. Thanking God that I've got five fingers on each hand. There's so many things. I mean, look, I want you to think for a minute. Would you give up your arm for a million dollars? Would you give your legs up? Would you give up the ability to walk for a million dollars? Would you give up your eyesight for a million dollars? How about your hearing for a million dollars? Your sense of smell? Would you give up your tongue for a million dollars? Probably none of those things would anyone say, yeah, I'd give that up so I could have a million dollars because... How are you going to enjoy a million dollars when you can't see? How do you enjoy a million dollars when you can't walk anymore? I mean, all those things we wouldn't give up because these things are valuable. This body is valuable to us. This life that you have is valuable. And when you and I sit back and bellyache and gripe and complain because life is hard, because things are difficult, because it's not going our way, All we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for a broken heart. And what we have got to do is we have got to come back and begin to be thankful. Be thankful. Now, it's tough. It's tough sometimes to do, especially when things aren't going your way. Things are not going my way in the state right now. Things aren't going my way. But here's the thing. I am grateful to live in this great State of Michigan and still be an Ohio State Buckeye fan. That's awesome. But I am grateful <laughs> to see if you're paying attention. But I am grateful to live in this awesome state among awesome people. I am grateful to pastor the church. How about we take it a step back and we say, I'm grateful for the person I married in my life. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm so grateful for Sharon. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for their spouses. I'm grateful for each of them, for the children that they've brought into our family. I'm grateful for every one of them. I'm grateful that I have a house to go to today. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. See, you You know, look, I know that we think like, well, you know, I can't, I can't go out to eat right now. I'm so frustrated. Look, you got an abundance. You go to your cupboard right now, I bet there's food in it. All this abundance you got in your house and you want to gripe and complain about you can't go out to eat? You got plenty. Well, I got to cook. Well, so what? I got to do dishes when I cook. Right. Get your husband up off his chair and have him come help you do all that. But look, don't just, don't. You got an abundance. You got a house to live in. You got a car that you can go to Meijer, you know, you got a mask that you can wear in the grocery store. You got stuff that you can be thankful for. And all we want to do is bellyache about what we don't have. Listen, let's rejoice in what we do have. I'd love to have everybody here. And I could be bellyaching that we can't get everybody here right now. But I'll tell you what, I'm rejoicing that you're there with us right now. Amen. I'm rejoicing that years ago God birthed in our thoughts about getting television in our ministry and and about putting cameras up and so many of you that invested to help make that happen. I'm grateful that we have an awesome worship team that sounds good on the internet whenever they lead in praise and worship. I'm so grateful for the people that are praying, the eldership that we have that prays and is praying for you and for the ministry gifts that are here and for the young ministers that are getting ready to launch out and how that their lives are going to impact thousands and thousands of people. I'm grateful for all of it. What are you thankful for today? Because here's what happened. When we begin to bellyache and we live our lives in that realm, here's what begins to take place. We begin to diminish. We begin to lose. Because it's not that God is saying, okay, I'm going to just destroy you because of that. All God's got to do is pull his hand back from it. And there is an adversary in this world that is just waiting for the opportunity to take what you've got. Think of what your life would be like without that house. It may not be perfect, but think of what it'd be like without it. How about that car? That food? Well, we've been eating macaroni and cheese and and hot dogs. Well, in our house for a long time, hot dogs were a luxury. So, look, don't complain. Begin to thank. God, I thank you. I thank you. Let's all stand up there and here right now, if you would. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, for your provision. I thank you, God, for taking care of me. How are you dealing with the test of your faith right now? Was well, God testing my faith? No, no, no. God is not testing your faith, but life is testing your faith. How are you dealing with that? Are you finding everything that's wrong, or are you taking time to just say, God, I thank you for everything that's right right now? Let's do a paradigm shift. You know what that means? It means that we're just going to go, we're looking at it this way, We're just going to turn over here and look at it from this way. Things are looking pretty good when you look back the other direction. Father, I pray right now for all those who are watching today. God, I know there are real problems. I know folks are dealing with real financial issues. and Lord, I know that it's tough in some households. Lord, moms and dads are struggling to try to figure out the whole school thing and um, how to teach their kids and get everything done, and Lord, and they're trying to stay busy just because so they're not bored to tears. Father, I just pray, Father, for them, though, that they would just take a step back of gratitude. And just today, Lord God, that they would find a way to be grateful, to be grateful, Lord, for what you've done in their lives, grateful for salvation, grateful for the cross, Lord God. I pray, Father God, that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would just begin to move across this network of people. Lord, in that, Lord, as you're touching them in their home right now, Lord God, that they, Lord, are sensing that you're drawing them into a place of thankfulness and gratitude for the abundance of things that they have in their life. I want to ask you today, while you're just in this atmosphere of prayer, if your life is right with God. You know, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And we only have one life to live here on this earth. And When death comes, which it comes to all, the choice that we have made in our lives, whether we have chose to receive what Jesus Christ has done for us or to reject what Christ has done for us, will determine where we spend our eternity. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I mean more than just saying he's my, I believe in God, but I mean be the Lord of my life, take charge. I surrender to you. I'm going to ask you today to do that. I'm going to ask you to call on the name of the Lord in your household right there. You say, well, my family's here, it's a little awkward. So what? So what? You might be leading all of them into glory right now because they hear you doing it. I want to ask you today if you would just pray a simple prayer with me today. Believe it in your heart. Speak it out of your mouth. And then begin to allow that application of Christ being in your life to affect every part of your life. Would you say this with me today? Lord Jesus, I turn to you. I turn from sin. I need you to be my Savior. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me of all sin. And give me new life as I turn to you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. You know, if you did that today, I believe that God right now heard your prayer and that you are born again. Now, what we'll have to do with that is help you. We want to help you grow in that relationship with Christ. And so if you will text that number on your screen there, we'll be sure to get you some information. About our ministry or you can message us right on Facebook there and uh, we'll be sure to get you some information about how that you can continue to grow uh, in your spiritual life we want to help you be able to do that and uh, we believe it so as we finish up today and we're wrapping up our service I had something I wanted you guys to do in your homes I want you to each turn to someone and I want you to tell them something That you're, and I want you to be serious. I know we get a little goofy about the, you know, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for you, you know, but I want you to mean it, okay? Because it's gonna affect your, it's gonna affect your heart, all right? So don't just, you know, shuck it off to just being silly. Let's really mean it. Like I want you to thank, I want you to tell your wife something you're specifically thankful for, (coughs) you know, something that you're really thankful. Karen, I am thankful. I'll just give you an example. I am thankful that when I was a jerk, you didn't turn your back on me, but prayed for me and loved me. Thank you. Now, it wasn't today, okay? So, <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, right. Yeah, the day's not over. But tell them something specific. In your home, do it right now. Do it with your kids. Have your kids do that with you guys. And, and have discussion in your home about it. this. Is so powerful. And it can have such a great impact. God bless you. We'll be back next week. Stay tuned. All kinds of great things happening. Communion tonight at 6. And uh, we love you guys, and uh, you're going to be okay. We're going to get through this together.